scripture reading this morning will be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. I encourage you to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have your Bible, it can be found on page 1040 of the Pew Bible. Ephesians 5, verse 22, beginning. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Good morning. It is good to see you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is an exciting time of the year as we think about the holidays very quickly upon us. And many of us will spend extra time this week with family. We'll spend extra time on the road. We'll spend extra time hopefully being able to relax some. And let's make sure uh, that, that in all of that, we live exactly the way God would want us to live. Let's be careful. Let's remember uh, the, the many blessings that God gives us all year. And let's remember that the wonderful generosity that we see that surrounds us in America, especially this time of year, is something that the beauty of Christianity is we've learned to show that kind of generosity all the time. And let's make sure that we're very much aware of all that God has given us. And, you know, one of the things this time of year that, that we've just had the blessing of, of being reminded of is there are college kids that have been away, they're back home. Clay Bats led us in a wonderful prayer. It's good to have uh, those young men and young women back home. We are blessed tremendously with wonderful, wonderful young people. I want to remind you or either inform you that the Bibles that you might have ordered uh, over the past week or so, they are all in. And so everybody that has placed an order before today, your Bibles are in. They're $10. You can pick those up today or tonight or Wednesday night. Uh, they're at the Information Center, and we're thankful that there are so many that have an interest in reading through the Bible this year. Be thinking about your plans. When are you going to do that? What time of the day are you going to do that? And, and really, let's all be committed, whether it's reading through uh, this particular study Bible or if it's uh, a personal study that we'll do on our own this year, let's all be committed to knowing the Word of God better in 2010 than we ever have in our life. I want to encourage you. Uh, to be thinking about the new year. Oftentimes, we naturally think about New Year's resolutions. But be thinking about 
what changes of spiritual growth that you would like to see take place in your life in 2010. Beginning in January, we're going to begin a study that many of you are probably familiar with a program that is a spiritual-based program that is literally taking place all over America today. It is called Celebrate Recovery. The interesting dynamic of Celebrate Recovery is that it challenges individuals to realize that their life is the result of their beliefs because every decision that we make in life is a result of our beliefs. And every life that each of us lives... We live our life based upon the decisions that we make. And this approach of saying, hey, let's stop and consider who we are. What decisions do we make? What do we really believe? The dynamic of this program comes out of the Beatitudes. All month in January on Sunday mornings, there's five Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at life's healing choices. And we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes and challenging every one of us to take responsibility to make spiritually healthy decisions so that we'll begin the year, hopefully, literally, on the best spiritual footing that we've ever been uh, upon in our life. And so I want to challenge you to, to invite others to become a part of our studies on Sunday morning in January. I want to challenge you to be thinking and praying about that. And if there's any changes that you know that you need to make, of course, today is the best time to make them. But if it's a growth process that's going to have to take place, let's be committed that at the beginning of this next year, we're committed to that growth process. Keep in mind Wednesday night that all of our adult classes will be gathered here. I'm sorry, all of our classes will be gathered here in the auditorium on Wednesday night. And we'll enjoy a lesson from our elders. Every year, traditionally, for many years now, we've had from shepherd to the sheep on Wednesday night uh, before Christmas. Earlier this year, the New York Times reported on a car show that was taking place. And instead of reporting about the car show, one of the articles that they did was how much thought and preparation took place place in literally veiling a car for the unveiling day. For example, one of the uh, cars that they gave the example of for uh, earlier this year was the Saab was going to reveal a concept car. And they chose an Arctic white vehicle with the background that also would support that. And, and they, they put a veil over it so that they said they wanted to give the idea of, of a bride looking through the veil. And then, of course, the day of the show at the right time, people went by. But, you know, they couldn't tell the details. There was so much about the car that, that they didn't know about until it was revealed. And once that veil was lifted, then the car was shown in its uh, completeness and in its detail. Also at that car show, Kia was revealing their coupe, the Forte Coupe. And what they decided to do the night before the show was invite special guests in and they would lift the drape just enough for the special guests to see a front fender a back fender, and a portion of the side. When we think about spiritual truths and things that we need to know, we've been looking all month at the fact that we need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt with God. Now notice it's only with God. But with God, 
We can belong to His church. We've talked at the beginning of this month of how important it is to be called out of the world and into a relationship with the Lord and He places us in His church. We can belong there. Last week we looked at the aspect of now that we've been called there, let's not be selfish. We have a responsibility to try to include as many in our community that are open to the calling of the Lord. But you know, if we realize how valuable this mystery is that has been unveiled, it might help us to do a better job of not only being stronger in our commitment, but also more zealous in our striving to spread the gospel even to those down our very street or those that we work with. You see, the book of Ephesians, it's proper for us to say it is a book about Jesus Christ. Over and over, we have that phrase, in Christ, in whom, in Him. But I want you to notice also something this morning that is of great importance. It's also a book about mystery. No, now I'm not talking about that mystery where we have to go around and find clues. I'm talking about that mystery just like the illustration I gave you at the very beginning of this lesson. It simply means that that at one time was unknown. In other words, because of our limited knowledge, there was a veil over that fact. And then the Lord has chosen to pull back that veil and say, I want to show you this. In other words, it was a mystery, but now it has become known. Now you can know the mystery. There are five ways. Let me rephrase that. There are five details that the book of Ephesians reveals. The word is used six or seven times in this short book. Just six chapters in Ephesians. But six or seven times the word mystery is used. Paul is writing to a healthy church. But he wants them to never lose sight of what their life is about in Christ. If we lose sight of the mystery, friends, we've lost sight of of such an important aspect of the church. Any of the passages that we'll read this morning in the book of Ephesians will only be referenced. And so if you don't have your Bible open, turn please to the book of Ephesians. Or if, if you're using the Bible that's in the pew there, turn to about 1037 or 38, 39. We'll be looking at passages through there. And, and this morning, uh, you know, this is hard for me to do sometime when, when there is a, a study that I just really have enjoyed doing during the week. It is hard for me to go fast through that study. But for this lesson to really accomplish what it needs to accomplish in this one setting, we need to be able to look at the five times that, that the mystery has been revealed, referenced in the book of Ephesians. And, and I hope that it just stirs your appetite. I hope that maybe some of these passages, we're not going to be able to spend enough time on them, that you'll literally say, I've got to go home and read that chapter this afternoon. I've got to do more study on that because we're going to study something that is beautiful. Two weeks ago, we looked a lot in Ephesians, the first chapter. I don't think I mentioned to you at that time, but the paragraph we studied at, beginning in verse 3 and following in Ephesians, the first chapter, is about the Godhead as well as about the blessings that we receive. In other words, verses 3 through about 6 or 7 is about God the Father. And then when we look at uh, verse 7 and beginning through about verse the beginning of 13, it is about... God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the blessings that we have there. And then the rest of 13 and 14 is about God the Spirit. And each time he writes 
uh, Paul writes about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit, he closes out each of those sections by reminding us that we ought to give praise and glory to them. Now, what I'd like for you to do is drop back at verse 7 and let's look at this passage that speaks about Jesus Christ. And let's notice the mystery that has been revealed through Christ. Look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption. This is in Christ we have redemption. It's because of His blood, through His blood. What is that? The forgiveness of sins. Now notice it's according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Let's pause right there for just a moment. What, what is He saying here? He's just told us that it is in Jesus Christ that we have all the riches of grace. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? He says, you know, I'm talking about the forgiveness of sins. I'm talking about you can be justified. You can be redeemed from your sins. Now, it would be one thing for Christ to do that, but wouldn't it be terrible for Him to do that but not tell us about it or not tell us what our response should be to it? So see, here in these two verses, in one verse He says He did it for us, but then in the very next verse He says... Now, His prudence and His wisdom has made it known to us. Well, that's a good thing because we need to know it. Well, what has He made known to us? Look especially now at verse 9. Having been made known to us, here it is, the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. Jesus Christ made known to us the mystery. It was unknown before Jesus Christ came to this earth. But once Jesus Christ came to this earth, so much was known. What is it that's known? If you want to hold your finger here, look over to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. We'll come right back to here, but I'd like for you to see something. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. We just read about His rich grace and that Christ made known to us how wonderful this is. But what, what is this that's made known? Look at 1 Timothy, the third chapter. We have in verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The passage in our scripture reading that was so capably read this morning, did you notice by the time we got to verse 32, he's talked about husbands and wives and Christ and the church, and then by the time we get to 32, he says, this is a great mystery. And now we read this and he says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Friends, what does it mean to you when God says something is great? I want you to imagine someone that is very, very wealthy, the elite financially. And I want you to imagine that they're having a conversation with someone and and this other person is in poverty. And this person says something about, I bet you're rich. And that wealthy person tries to humbly acknowledge, well, I I have a little bit. And that person says, oh, I bet you're really, really rich. I'm thankful for what I have. Oh, no, I bet you're so rich, I bet you have $100. And this guy's thinking, I paid that for my steak last night. And this person's thinking, I can't imagine anybody having a hundred dollars. Friends, I want to ask you again, what does it mean to you when God says, great is the mystery? This is the God of the universe. This is the one who spoke everything into existence. This is the one whom we find all of our sufficiency. 
This is a God who is bigger than time. He is eternal. And when God says, I want to tell you something, and over and over when he refers to it, he says, great is the mystery. Friends, that ought to pull us to the edge of our seat. Whenever God says, I want to tell you something that is rich, something that is great, he's going to tell us six items about the greatness of this mystery and how Jesus fulfilled all of these things in his being on this earth. Look, if you will, in verse 16. Look at this list. Number one, this is the great mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's John 1 and 1. That's incarnation. Jesus was born through Mary's womb. Why? Because God was going to come in the flesh, into this earth in the flesh. Incarnation. The Lord reveals here in Scripture, I want to talk to you about some great mysteries. God being in the flesh is a great mystery. Number two, justified in the Spirit. Jesus was a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit being lived out. In February, we're going to study healthy relationships. And we're going to look at it solely from the fruit of the Spirit. Something I've never done. And I'm looking so forward to writing those lessons. In other words, if someone truly has the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit is in the way they treat the people at work. The fruit of the Spirit is in the way they treat their church family. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in the way they treat their family. Can you imagine those kind of relationships? Jesus was justified by the Spirit. He embodied the fruit of the Spirit. And when He... Uh, as, Ascended into heaven. You remember Acts 2, what was sent? The Holy Spirit was sent down as Jesus left the apostles to help them begin the church. Number three, these, we're talking about great mysteries. Great mysteries that came through Christ. Number three, seen by angels. Jesus Christ's birth announcement, angels announced it. Jesus Christ's protection that as a baby he needed to flee down to Egypt, angels announced it. Jesus Christ struggling, going to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's feeling weak. He went to the garden not only to pray, but what? To be ministered by an angel. And when Jesus Christ was resurrected, who announced his resurrection? Angels. And when Jesus Christ ascended, who talked to the apostles? Angels. Friends, you want to see a mystery? You picture in your mind a heavenly host that loves the Lord so much they can't take their eyes off of Him. The book of Revelation, Isaiah the 6th chapter. When we see the Lord on the throne, what do we see? We see everyone's attention on the Lord Every step that He has made has been seen by angels and preached among the Gentiles. One of the great truths of the New Testament church. Who's the church? The called out. They're called out of the world into one church. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, bond or, or servant. It doesn't matter who you are. We're one in Jesus Christ. It's a great mystery. Where else do you know where there's no segmentations, there's no divisions. Where else do you know where everybody's truly one? 
It's a great mystery that's found through Christ, believed on in the world. The world has been changed. It doesn't matter this morning who your friend is that you're saying that person would never become a Christian. Ah, the world. It doesn't matter who they are. They can believe on Jesus if they so choose. And individuals have turned their lives around and they've done great and glorious things for the kingdom over and over. Not because who they are, but because of this great mystery of Jesus Christ who is believed on in the world. And finally in this passage, received up in glory. I confess to you that I think as a preacher I've neglected this fact. I'm reminded of it though when I study this passage. What's one of the glorious things that Christ did? His ascension. The Scriptures tells us, Paul tells Timothy, the ascension is a glorious thing. That is amazing, isn't it? That Jesus Christ simply ascended and the promise that He's going to return. Let's go back now again to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. We're leaving now verse 9 that... It's in Jesus Christ that we have the mystery revealed through Christ. But now let's go to the third chapter of Revelation. I'm sorry, of Ephesians. Ephesians, the third chapter. And let's look at verse 3 and 4. And now that we have Christ revealing the mystery, notice what Paul spoke about in verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Do you see what Paul is making a reference to? Other passages would call this inspiration. In other words, Paul has a message that's been given to him by the Holy Spirit. He's written it down and he says, now this was unknown, but now this mystery is made known. How is it made known? I took these words and I penned them. And when you read these words, you're going to understand what? The mystery, friends, the Scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures reveals the mystery of God. What would we know about the details of Jesus Christ if we did not have the Scriptures to tell us? But now let's look at a third time that mystery is used here. And and let's drop down to this same chapter. Look at the third chapter, verse 9 and 10. And verse 8 closes again, which, which by the way, the third chapter is a lot about the Jews and the Gentiles coming into one family. And, and again, that's a part of the mystery. And so he's talked about at the end of 8 that his job, his task was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So there's this great riches. There's this great mystery. And notice in 9 and 10, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. See, the mystery was not seen until it was revealed. And now once it's revealed, Paul says, it's my place to make sure everybody sees it. Now now let's read on because that doesn't stop with Paul, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, here it is, might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. We know that that a part of the great mystery was revealed through Christ, and we know a part of the great mystery has then been revealed through the gospel. But friends, that's like finding a needle in a haystack. How are your neighbors, how maybe a friend that you have that has never been religious, they didn't grow up in a religious family, and they need the Lord, how are they going to know that they need to pick up the Bible? 
out of all the books that have been printed, out of the busy lives that people live, how are they going to know, hey, I ought to take time to read this book right here. You hear what Paul's saying here? He says, I tell you how they're going to learn that. It's going to be made known by the church. The church is going to be a group of people that make it known to individuals. You need to learn about Christ. You need to learn the scriptures that teach us about Christ. I love being a part of a congregation that encourages daily Bible reading that, that where we accept and embrace the reality that we can't be right with God and not know the Scriptures. And that's what we say to a community around us. Love God. Love Christ. Love the Scriptures. In that is revealed great truth. I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Peter. And I'd like for us to quickly read a passage over here that just supports this idea of, of the, 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 the church and and all that that is offered to us, it's very, very beautiful as we read about this salvation that we want others to believe in also. First Peter, the first chapter, when we drop back in verse 8, he's talking about that we've not seen, but yet we love Him. Talking about Jesus. See, we're still talking about revelation. How can you love a Jesus you've never seen? Well, He's been revealed to us. Our next sentence, he writes, Though now you do not see Him, yet you believe. And then he talks about the expressible and, and full of glory, the rejoicing with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now look here in 10. Of this salvation. Now what salvation is this? This is salvation that we love the Lord, we haven't seen Him. We believe in the Lord, we haven't seen Him. But we know all that He's done for us and we love the Lord. He says, I want to talk to you about that salvation. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired... And search carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who has in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. Look at verse 12. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Friends, that's amazing. Here, Peter writes, and he says, I want to talk to you about things that the prophets didn't even fully understand it. They, they knew that they were talking about something great. They knew that the mystery was spectacular. And they would, they would talk about what is the mystery? When's it going to happen? Someone says, how could you talk about something and not understand it? Well, you know, one of the best New Testament examples we have of that is on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached and he said this message of salvation was for those even afar off. In other words, that literally he was saying, in other words, the gospel is even for the Gentiles. They are far off. But do you remember by the time we get to Acts 10? Several years later, we get to Acts 10 and Peter is told to go to Cornelius. And you remember, he just can't hardly fathom the thought, you want me to go to a Gentile's house? You know, and you just want to say, Peter, you're the one that preached that sermon back in Acts 2. What happened? 
He literally was preaching things that he didn't even fully understand at the moment that he was preaching them. Why? It hadn't totally been revealed, or if it had been revealed, he hadn't totally understood it yet. But then, did you notice verse 12? Verse 12 ought to really lure us in. Even the angels. Look at the end of verse 12 again. The things which angels desire to look into. When we read about angels sinning, we read about them being cast out of heaven immediately. Don't you know it's intriguing to an angel as they started hearing about redemption? You mean mankind's going to have the opportunity to be redeemed? I want to know more. And this one says, look into. It's the idea of looking over and inquiring. Isn't that awesome to think that while Jesus Christ was making a way of redemption, that we have angels, we have a heavenly host, we have them looking over saying, I want to know, how's the cross going to work? Is he going to be resurrected? Look, he's alive. Wait, the saved are going to be, oh, in a church. Look how this is working out. Can you imagine the angelic host and the conversations and the joy and the celebration that was taking place? Friends, does it bother you that maybe from time to time we're guilty of just saying, oh, the church. And we've got a heavenly host that is practically shouting This is the greatest mystery. We've been waiting for ages to see this. Look how wonderful this is. The next two, as we go back to Ephesians, I want to mention to you, and this very next one we'll spend a lot of time on tonight. In the text that was read for us back in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we learn that it's through the illustration of marriage that we can learn a great deal about this great mystery. And tonight, we want to come back and study Ephesians 5, not from the standpoint of saying, hey, this is really going to bless our marriage, even though learning God's Word on this will no doubt help us. But tonight, we're going to study this strictly from the idea of what is it that God wants us to learn and appreciate about the mystery of the church as it relates to marriage. But now, let's close this lesson by looking... In the 6th chapter in verse 19, many of you will recognize the 6th chapter beginning in verse 10 because this is where we have the Christian armor that is put on. At the end, at the, toward the end of the Christian armor, the last thing that the Lord says to put on here through the mouth of Paul is to put on prayer. And so while he's talking to them about prayer, notice what he says in verse 19. And for me, that utterance, he's talking to what he wants them to pray. In other words, he's saying, while you're praying, I want you to pray for me. Verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That is very interesting. When we think about Paul saying, I want you to pray for me, I want you to pray that I'll speak as I ought to speak. Why? Because I want the mystery to become known. In other words, Paul realized 
It's my responsibility. I'm an ambassador for Christ. There's a lot of things that are unknown to people that we have knowledge of it, and I want them to know it. And so as we think about Paul, then we also bring that around to you and to me. Do do you believe that you have a responsibility to help make known this mystery? There's something exciting. You know, when price is right behind curtain number one, or curtain number two, curtain number three, and the curtain opens. Do you realize that the Lord is saying, I want you to choose a curtain, and it's the relationship with me. I want you to be the called out. And when you understand all that I have revealed, you're going to be amazed. You know, our problem is sometimes we think about all this as humans and try to think about God as a type of human. You know, at the beginning of this lesson, we talked about that Saab car. Isn't it interesting when this was unveiled earlier this year, humans unveil things and they only know what is there at the moment. But yet when God unveils something, He literally can speak before time began about what He was thinking about it. Or let's go to the future. When we reveal something, we only know the moment. But when God reveals something, He knows the future of it. Do you think that Saab earlier this year would have unveiled this concept car if they would have known that in December of this year, GM was going to announce that they can't find a buyer and Saab is closing down. Isn't that amazing? No, it's not amazing. It happens all the time. What, we make plans and they don't go anywhere. Why? Because we're limited. We don't have knowledge. Saab, you wouldn't do that in March if you'd known in December you're going out of business. Friends, what plans are you making? Do you realize that if you're living your life without God, do you realize how foolish it is? But do you realize when we say, I believe in the mysteries of of God. I believe that the one who ascended is coming back just as He said. I believe in that great revelation. And this morning, I hope we're all living our life, living our life in what has been revealed to us. If you're not a part of the called out, see what's revealed and obey it this morning. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, why not this morning? If you've left the way and you want to come back to the way, why not this morning? There are only certain things in life that are certain. And it's those things that we've studied this morning. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.